0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to reverse the curse of sin and death and to restore all things, including our lives, for your glory. Give us ears to hear now what you want to say to us and faith to believe in your promises. For Christ's sake, amen. You can be seated. Well, in Advent, we are reminded, we are challenged to put our hope in the future that only God can bring about. And that is what Isaiah 35 is about, as God gives Isaiah this vision of the future, um, the city of Zion. After the people of Israel have been through so much, through judgment, through a wilderness period, a time in the desert. God gives this vision to his people through Isaiah to strengthen them. You see that in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Maybe somebody here today needs to be strengthened. Strengthened spiritually by the promises of God and the hope that he gives us based on this vision of the future. You know, there are plenty of alternative visions and hopes for the future that we come up with as human beings. I read about a few years ago, the mayor of Seoul, South Korea, pledged to make Seoul a city of great safety and prosperity. And he said that, this is quoting him, I want Seoul to be a place where people are safe, warm-hearted, upright, and dignified. And in order to accomplish this vision, or at least part of this, was a great investment in technology. So Seoul invested a great deal of technology in fiber optics and other kinds of tech, so that in the mayor's office, the mayor and his administration would get real-time data through fiber optics and surveillance cameras and other information about how things were going in the city. Things like traffic and even uh, housing rates and crime statistics so that they could respond in real time to what was going on in the city. And it was efficient, no doubt about it. It did seem like government efficiency increased, but it did not lead to a technological utopia in Seoul, South Korea. Maybe you remember last year or this year earlier what happened in Hall- at Halloween in uh, Seoul, downtown Seoul. There was a party in downtown Seoul that turned into a deadly stampede that killed over 150 people. 150 people killed in this stampede. And one witness said this, that as people were dying in this stampede, the clubs kept partying. And one other witness said, I lost my faith in humanity that night. I lost my faith in humanity that night, this young man said, because I saw people drinking and singing next to dead bodies. And then another person said, we have advanced in accumulating great wealth, but we are far behind in respecting human life. We've got the technology, we've got the wealth, but we don't respect human life. And you see, technology, as wonderful as it is, it can't transform us into loving people. And surveillance cameras can't keep us completely safe. The salvation that we need now and the salvation that God promises is found in these passages that we've been looking at from Isaiah. The salvation we need now comes from God And the future we long for is promised by God. And so what I want us to do is look at this vision of the future that God gave Isaiah in chapter 35. And we don't have time to read it all. It's a vision of justice. It's a vision of a restored creation. We've talked about that in some of these other visions that God gave Isaiah. But I want to focus on the end of this. Starting at verse 8. So if you want to look in your bulletin, you'll probably find it more edifying to actually take out the passage and look at it as we go along here. Because here Isaiah tells us that there is a city of God, the city of Zion, which God has for his people. And he tells us the way to get there, the way to this city. And he says at verse 8, there, a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The way of holiness. Now, what does holiness mean? In the Bible, it means, at least the root of the definition is, to be set apart. To be set apart for God, for the worship and service of of God. That's what the root of this word means. So, in the Old Testament, there were holy places, weren't there? Places that were not common, that were set apart for the worship of God. The temple, the tabernacle, these were holy places. And and there were holy objects within these holy places that were set apart for the worship of God. The altar where the sacrifices were made, that was a holy place. The priests' garments were considered holy unto the Lord. They were not to be treated as common garments, you see. And then the offerings themselves of the people were deemed to be holy. They were set apart from common or profane things. And what Isaiah is saying here is that God in His mercy, has set us apart for Himself on this highway leading to the city that He has in store for us. God has set us apart for His service, for His worship. The world says, make your own highway and go your own way. Go your own destination. But those... People who are traveling on this highway to this city have been set apart by God for God. It is the highway of holiness. And he says that the unclean will not be there. Those who are not set apart for God will not pass over it. So the unclean shall not pass over it. Now let's remember how God makes us clean. How God makes us holy. Because holiness kind of has a negative connotation in our culture today. We use the expression, that person thinks they're holier than thou. And that has a negative connotation. But here, and at the root of that negative connotation, is this person thinks they're better than others. That's the accusation. But let's remember how God makes people holy it's by His mercy. It's not something that is is, is in us. It is something God does first for us. And then he begins to work in us to make us more like Christ. God is the one who makes us clean. God is the one who makes us holy. Isaiah experienced this in Isaiah chapter 6. He recounts the vision that he had of God as high and lifted up. And remember, in this vision that Isaiah had in the temple, he sees the angels, he sees the seraphim, and they're crying out to one another, what? Holy, holy, holy. He sees and encounters a holy God. And in response to that vision of the holiness of God, he says, Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man Of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, Isaiah says in 35 that on this highway there will be no unclean people. So Isaiah 6, he said, I'm unclean. And the people that live with me, around me, the people of this nation, they're unclean too. So how does God make Isaiah clean? This is very instructive for us. An angel of the Lord, it says, this is Isaiah 6, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he has taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That's how he's made clean. Cleansed through the altar, the place of sacrifice. And friends, that's how we are cleansed by God. Even today, we are cleansed by the perfect once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice that was made for the sins of the world. And then, God sets us on this highway. Sets us apart. He cleanses us, and He sets us apart so that we will be heading in our life towards Him. To Him ultimately to the city of Zion, the new Jerusalem. And then, as we're on this highway, we cooperate with the grace of God and the Spirit of God to grow in this holiness. But it starts with the cleansing. And so, with God's help, let's stay on the highway He's placed us on to the very end. Let's resist the temptation to get off the road and, 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 and on, uh, you know, fall into a kind of tourist trap. You know, you've been traveling down the highway, and then there's a sign for fudge. (laughs) And it says, road calories don't count. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) But we fall for it sometimes. At least I do. Maple fudge. Chocolate peanut butter fudge. The sign is there. And you regret it later. You 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 pull in and you buy the cheap trinkets and the cheap souvenirs and the sugary snacks and you say, I shouldn't have done that. You got off the highway. And that, that's how it is with the highway that God has put you on. The highway of holiness. Because there's all these detours. These traps. And it looks good. And it is for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But then comes the regret and the guilt and the pain and the suffering. And so God has put us on this highway to holiness, set apart for Him. Let's stay on it through repentance and faith. Then we see the security of Zion. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed... Shall walk there. No lion. No ravenous beast. No threat from the natural world. Or, perhaps this is figurative, meaning people who've become beast-like. And the people of Israel were familiar with that. With people like Nebuchadnezzar and kings, who thought they had all the authority in the world. But this threat from the natural world, or from people who've become beast-like, That will not exist in the city of Zion. You're going to walk around in complete security and safety there. You know, even in the most beautiful natural scenes in our world, you still have to worry about threats from nature, don't you? When we're in Montana, I carry bear spray. And uh, there's been times when I've been going up a trail in Montana... And people ahead of me turn around and they make a U-turn and they come back down the trail wide-eyed and they say, there's a grizzly with her cubs, don't go up there. Okay, I'm turning around. (laughs) Glacier National Park in northwest Montana, and some of you have been there, it will take your breath away with the beauty of that place. But I have a book called Death in Glacier National Park. And it recounts stories of bear attacks and people falling off the mountains into waterfalls. Maybe I'm a little twisted there. But But the point is, even in the most beautiful places, even in the places where you look at it and say, "This this is a taste of heaven, and it is. It's a reflection of the glory of God. We're not completely secure. There's no perfectly safe place in a fallen and sinful world. Not from nature, or not from people who become beast-like. But there is safety in God. There is safety in God, who is the ruler of the world. And God promises a world coming that will be completely safe for his redeemed people. And then he describes the citizens of Zion. The citizens, he describes them as redeemed and ransomed. The redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return. And these are important terms for us to remember, friends. Redeemed and ransomed. This is what God calls you. This is the name tag God has put on you. This is the banner you walk under. If you are in Christ, you're redeemed, and you're ransomed. What does it mean? Redemption means getting back something that has been lost. And ransom is the price paid to get it back. Here's how it worked in the Old Testament. If you lost, for example, your property because you got yourself in debt and you had to sell your property to pay off your debt, that property was no longer in your family. You could go to court and ransom that property. If you saved up enough money, you could buy that property back. Or you could have a relative, your closest kinsman, called your kinsman redeemer, could go to court for you and pay the ransom price so that you can get back what you lost. That's what ransom and redemption means. And for the people of Israel, the greatest act of redemption that they experienced up to this point was the exodus, which ransomed them from Egyptian slavery. In Isaiah 35, Isaiah is looking forward to a new exodus through the desert. You see? that's how this starts. It's a wilderness scene. God is going to ransom his people out of Babylon, but Isaiah's vision goes beyond, stretches beyond a near future, into the fulfillment of this, ultimately, in Christ. Christ said that he came as a ransom for many, Mark 10:45. and he paid the ransom price for our redemption so we can be citizens so we can get on this highway and stay on this highway to this city of Zion you know one big news item in this this week was the prisoner exchange wasn't it that happened Brittany Griner um, US citizen WNBA basketball star was in a Russian prison and she was going to be there for nine years that was her sentence And then we had this Victor Boot, a Russian citizen and a notorious arms dealer who was in the U.S. prison serving 25 years. Now, whatever you think of the justice of this prisoner swap, it illustrates a point I'm making here about a redemption price. There's no way that she would have gotten out the U.S. citizen of that prison unless the United States paid a hefty price. And that's what happened. The redemption price has to be paid. The ransom for our redemption. Friends, we can't redeem ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. We can't pay for our own sin against God. And we can't pay for our sin against our neighbor. We can't free ourselves from the power of sin. We cannot free ourselves from death. We cannot pay a price to get eternal life. We don't have the resources. But God does. And God has. And God's paid that price for you. God has paid the price for you to know you're forgiven and to put you on this highway to return to Him forever. And the price is the blood of His Son. And Paul says in Second Corinthians, no, 1 Corinthians 6, And this is something for us to remember when we're tempted to get off the highway. You have been bought with a price the blood of Jesus. You've been bought with this precious blood of Christ. Therefore, he says, honor God with your body. You see? Remember whose you are. Remember the price paid. And live in light of that. Don't spurn it. Don't walk away from it. Don't say, God, I don't honor that. You've been bought with the price. Stay on the way of holiness. Finally, Isaiah pictures the happiness of this city. The happiness of the citizens of this city They shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Singing, gladness, joy. Heaven is not going to be a boring place. Heaven is going to be a happy place with happy people. Somebody asked me last Sunday, Do you think it's just going to be like a long church service? I think it's going to be even better than that. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Even better than that. Heaven is going to be a happy place with happy people. There's going to be everlasting joy. And the things that make us sorrow and sigh now, Isaiah says, are going to fall away. Sickness, disease, sadness, division, hatred, injustice, sin, even our own sin, that will have no place in the presence of God. And God Himself will wipe away every tear from our eye, John says in Revelation. It's going to be Liberation Day in Paris in World War II. That's what it's going to be like. I, was seeing, I saw a documentary this week about that. After four years of Nazi occupation, four years of near starvation for the people of that city, four years of fear, four years of living under the lies of a madman, the Allies and the French Resistance came together and they liberated that city and the citizens sang the national anthem and they ran out to greet their liberators with champagne and flowers and they kissed them and one historian said it was pure joy in Paris that day. Pure joy that day. But in heaven, it's going to be pure joy all the time if we can even use the word time. Throughout eternity. And that's what God promises his people. All our lives, Ray Ortlund says, all our lives we just wanted to be happy. See if this is true about you. It resonates with me. All our lives we just wanted to be happy. But all our lives something has always spoiled it. And God is saying... In his word and in this promise. Trust me. Will you trust me enough to follow me? On this highway? Trust me enough and I will bring you home with singing. And everlasting joy. I will overwhelm you, Portland says, with joy unbroken and unbreakable. Beautiful. Beautiful. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for, some people have given up on looking for happiness outside of themselves. They have been hurt, they have been abused, they have been disillusioned. And now there's a trend to look for salvation and happiness within the self. It's a great turn towards the self, self love. Some people are looking for happiness within the self. Others turn to drink or drugs or sensual pleasure for happiness. Some people think if I just had enough money, enough material possessions, then I could get joy. Other people clamor after power and prestige and think if I get to the top of the ladder, then I'll have joy. These are false gods, they're temporary they do not last. In following these false gods, where has it gotten us as a culture? We're more addicted. We're more anxious. We're more angry. That's not what God wants to give us. God wants to give us true joy. What he promises, we cannot provide for ourselves. And the question is, Will we trust him? Will we continue to trust the one who's ransomed us? Who gave us his son on the cross? Who raised him to new life on the third day, demonstrating that he is God. He's in charge. Let's stay on the highway to Zion until he brings us all the way home. Amen. Heavenly Father, we we praise you and thank you for these promises and pray that you would drive them deep into our hearts and minds today and throughout this week and during this Advent season. Help us to remember the true meaning of this time of year and of Christmas where we celebrate the gift of your promised Messiah. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.